Good afternoon, Lafayette. This is the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542. If you want to be part of the conversation real quick, I know I just gave the traffic before uh, that last break, but we do have an update. Uh, the left lane is blocked on I-10 West at mile marker 128. That's going to be at Whiskey Bay uh, due to an accident. So uh, congestion is approaching two miles. Again, that's I-10 westbound at Whiskey Bay. Congestion approaching two miles. Uh, be safe on the roads out there. Okay, 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation. And I want to get started today uh, with, again, more of the boring but but important, and that's going to be the inflation numbers for the day. The inflation numbers, the CPI, Consumer Price Index, those numbers came out officially this morning, and we're actually seeing good news as far as inflation goes. Uh, CPI is showing that inflation grew 6% annually in February, so that is up 6% from where it was last year. However, this is what's important. It's down from 6.4% in January, so inflation is cooling a bit. It seems that what the Fed has been doing is working, and that is a good thing. Core CPI, which is the Consumer Price Index excluding volatile uh, markets like food and energy, uh, it was up 5.5% annually in February versus 56 in January. So this is all good economic news. More from the Wall Street Journal. Prices rose 0.4% in February over the prior month versus 0.5% in January. That's the monthly inflation increase. Uh, Core prices increased uh, 0.5% in February compared with 0.4% monthly gain in January. Consumers paid less last month to heat their homes. Prices for medical services and used cars fell as well. Gasoline and food prices both increased, but at a slower pace than they did in January. Shelter costs increased 0.8% overall from month to month. These signs point to the Federal Reserve keeping its aggressive tax rates going. Remember, we had, I think it was Chase who called in yesterday and said uh, that looking at these banks is is only one part of the economic picture, the, the bank collapse and everything. I want to get back to that in a minute. But... At the same time, from my perspective, and I think Chase had the same perspective as well when he called in yesterday, uh, it still looks like, from our perspective, that the Fed is going to keep its rather aggressive interest rate hikes. Now, again, if you missed the show yesterday, let me briefly go over what I mentioned then as far as the interest rates go and then talk about how everything now ties into it. In 2007-2008, we had the largest financial crisis that we've seen in quite some time since the Great Depression. In fact, this one was called the Great Recession. And during the Great Recession, we had banks fail. We had financial institutions that just, their, their value plummeted. And during this Great Recession, this global financial crisis, one of the things the Federal Reserve did was lower the interest rate to near zero. And throughout the financial crisis, which lasted a lot longer than the Obama administration said it did, 
remember the Obama administration came out and said the recession's over, and we were still suffering from the effects of it long after that. But the Fed kept interest rates low for years, even into the Trump years. And the the interest rates stayed low, but the Federal Reserve knew that it couldn't stay that way forever. So they wanted to increase the interest rate during the Trump years, and in fact, they did little by little. The Trump administration, Donald Trump was very not very very angry with this. He did not want the interest rate to go up. It hurts the business community, and he, being a business guy, did not want to see that. He wanted to see the good economic growth that was happening during his administration stay there. During the Trump years, here's what you have to understand. Every financial expert in the country, month after month, year after year during the Trump years was saying this is a bubble, it's going to pop, there's no way the economy can keep getting better, there, it has to peak sometime soon. And each and every time they said that, the economy did better. The numbers went up. It was amazing. It was an economic boon, the likes of which we had not seen. Employment was at record lows at the time. Black unemployment, Hispanic unemployment, uh, minority unemployment overall was way, way down. Historic lows for minority unemployment. It was a renaissance of the job market. It was a renaissance of the economy in the United States, the likes of which we had not seen in quite some time. And then COVID-19 happened. And during COVID-19, we shut down the economy and there was an economic crisis. Now, during this economic crisis, the Trump administration worked with Congress to get a rescue plan together, and the rescue plan was passed. During the Biden administration, a bigger rescue plan that threw trillions into the economy was passed. This much money getting thrown into the economy accelerated inflation to a point that was just unsustainable, and now we're reaping the benefits of that. In June, we had a peak of 9% inflation year over year. That is not good. The Federal Reserve has two jobs, one to fight inflation and two to be concerned about the job market. And in this case, both were at issue. Both were at issue. The jobs and inflation were both at risk because of the state of the economy. And so the Federal Reserve started aggressively raising the interest rate. It would not have had to be so aggressive if it weren't at odds with the president of the last administration who was fighting against interest rate hikes. But the Federal Reserve set a goal of keeping inflation at or below 2%. So that is what they were fighting for. And so they have been aggressively raising the interest rate because when you do that, you are fighting inflation. The reason they wanted to raise the interest rate when the economy was good is because they had faith that the economy would be able to absorb that interest rate hike. But because they didn't raise it aggressively enough during the times that, ec- that the economy was good, now when the economy was bad, they have to go overdrive on it to fight inflation. This created the problem in the tech sector. The tech sector relies a lot on loans and investment borrowing against itself in order for the innovations and the development in the tech industry to grow. And almost entirely... Silicon Valley Bank was the bank of Silicon Valley. I mean, that's where the name comes from. Most of the tech sector put its money in Silicon Valley Bank. 
a lot of tech investors and a lot of tech startups also put their money in First Republic Bank. Well, then last week, Silicon Valley Bank announced that it, it had lost most of its value. See, when the interest rate is low, go ahead and take your money and put it into corporate bonds. But when the interest rate starts going up, you switch it to treasury bonds. And if your bonds have time to mature, great. If they don't have time to mature and you're in the wrong bond, depending on what the state of the economy is, your bonds become illiquid. And that's what happened to Silicon Valley Bank. Because they were not diverse in their investments, they threw basically all of their liquidity into these bonds. When the bonds became illiquid, they were screwed. Because the tech industry needed to start taking out its money in order to start paying the bills on all the loans they had and all the innovations they were doing. They couldn't rely on the investments anymore. They couldn't keep borrowing. The interest rate was too high, so they had to start paying their bills right then and there. Well, Silicon Valley Bank did not have enough money, either liquid or in those bonds, to be able to cover those withdrawals. There was a run on Silicon Valley Bank. They publicly announced they did not have the liquidity or the assets to be able to uh, pay every one of their uh, customers, their depositors. And so they were seized and taken over by the FDIC. Then over the weekend, New York Signature Bank, same thing. The cryptocurrency market has crashed and crypto is not as valuable as it was. Most of crypto companies kept their money in New York Signature Bank. First Republic Bank, there was a run on First Republic Bank yesterday, but they have since regained most of their value. Now, why do I bring up all this again? We had good inflation numbers today. We had about what economists expected, and frankly, it makes economists happy because when inflation starts slowing down, that means you can stop worrying so much about the interest rate. If inflation is going down instead of up, then the Federal Reserve is not going to be as aggressive. Now, I still think when they meet next week, they're going to say they're raising the interest rate another half a point rather than 0.75 points. A lot of people are hoping that it would be more like a quarter point, 0.25 percentage points. I think it'll be half a percentage point. But the inflation numbers lead you to think that, except, except there's this old adage that floats around Wall Street that the, the Federal Reserve raises interest rates until something breaks. Both the Wall Street Journal and CNBC mention this little tidbit. And it comes from the two most dangerous words in American politics and American policy, and those are conventional wisdom. Conventional wisdom states that the Fed will stop raising interest rates. That's why, that's why the stock market actually is doing okay today, much better than people thought it would. They thought that this financial crisis with these three banks would actually slow down the interest rate hikes. And that inflation slowing down means that the Fed will slow down its interest rate hikes. Except Jerome Powell, the chair of the Federal Reserve, has already told Congress he's going to continue to be aggressive. The Federal Reserve is going to continue to be aggressive on this. So it's very likely you're not going to see them slow down as much as Wall Street and as much as the stock market would like. 
Instead, you're going to see them continue to be aggressive, not, you know, three quarters of a point aggressive, but maybe half a point aggressive. And they will keep moving. They will keep trying because what the Fed sees right now is that what they're doing to fight inflation is working. The Fed, contrary to popular belief, doesn't give a damn what Wall Street thinks. Wall Street has a very overinflated sense of self. The stock market has a very overinflated sense of self. The Fed doesn't care. The Fed is going to continue to do what it says it's going to do. It's going to keep raising interest rates until they can get inflation down to 2%. That's why today's inflation numbers are good. And that's why you're going to see next week when they announce that they're going to raise the interest rate 0.5% that Wall Street's going to react negatively. But overall, it's a sign that things are actually getting better. And that's what people need to remember, that things are economically getting better on the inflation front. But there's a difference between policy and posturing, and we need to talk about that when we come back here on The Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5, KPEL 232-1542, if you want to be part of the conversation. And again, uh, we've just put this up on our Facebook page, KPEL News on Facebook. Uh, the left lane is blocked at I-10 West, mile marker 128. That's at Whiskey Bay due to an accident. As of about 20 or so minutes ago, that congestion was approaching two miles. So it is uh, a problem there on uh, on I-10 westbound at Whiskey Bay. So do be careful driving out there uh, and just be careful driving around town. Again, this is the after-school time. I know there's a lot of after-school traffic everywhere. Just drive safe. All right, going back to what I was saying, the Fed has its policy, and the Fed works largely independent of the other branches of government. Its job is purely to look at the economic state. Now, the people who get appointed to the Federal Reserve are appointed by the President of the United States, and so there can be some partisan lean there. But their job is to keep in inflation low and to keep an eye on jobs. That's it. That's their two missions. And right now they are doing what the Fed has historically always done to combat inflation. On the partisan side of it, you look away from the federal board and you see all the posturing that's happened. People are posturing, saying that what happened to Silicon Valley Bank was because of the wokes and the DEI and ESG stuff. That's not quite the case. It was just bad risk management and a lot of uh, a, a lot of just bad risky behavior and in investing. Um, there, it played some part. of Their risk assessment guy was off planning and L. Uh, 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 was off planning some woke festival or parade or something like that. The Daily Beast report reported that it was very strange, uh, or Daily Mail reported it. Uh, but it was largely just the fact there was no risk assessment. But see, here's the thing on the posturing side. Yesterday, yesterday morning, first thing he does, Joe Biden wakes up and he gives this speech. He gives a statement on the financial crisis for those three banks. And he mentions... Dodd-Frank, he mentions the banking bill, the banking regulations bill that passed during the Obama era. 
And then Dodd-Frank was in large part repealed. Why was it repealed? It was repealed because Democrats and Republicans alike, wasn't just Republicans, it was Democrats and Republicans alike, including people who have been essential to the success of the Biden administration, realized that you can't put every bank, small and large, under the same regulations because small banks just don't have the type of capital to maintain those regulations that big banks do. Even Barney Frank, one of the names on the bill, voted to get rid of most of it. But Joe Biden blamed the Trump administration for repealing those regulations as the reasons this financial crisis happened. And just like when he blamed the East Palestine train crash on the Trump administration deregulating, that's not actually what happened. What happened here was unrelated to any of that. But that won't stop the Biden administration from passing the buck and blaming somebody else just because they can. All right, 232-1542. We'll be back in just a moment right here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542. If you want to be part of the conversation, words, if you want to be part of the conversation, I started moving on to my next sentence before I was done with this sentence. Don't do that, folks. I promise you I am a professional. It's just sometimes I get a little too excited. Anyway, you can also send a message through the KPL app chat if you'd like. I love conversing with y'all there. Jim Donlin is the longtime Louisiana insurance commissioner, longest serving insurance commissioner in the state's history, I believe. But he's also one of the longest serving politicians in Baton Rouge. He was elected to the state House of Representatives in 1982. So he's been in Baton Rouge going on 41 years now. He's been in Baton Rouge. He's been in Louisiana politics for quite a while. In 2001, he left there. He was hired on as deputy commissioner of insurance at the insurance department by his predecessor. Um, That was uh, J. Robert Woolley. Uh, In 2006, Woolley stepped down and the job was taken over by his deputy commissioner, Jim Donlin. Donlin then ran for election uh, in a special election, won that, and has been in the job ever since. By the way, can I just say, this is something, I, I was talking with a friend about this phenomenon in state politics. I know it's not just in Louisiana, I know it's not just where... This friend lives. I know it's not just in Louisiana, but it seems to be annoyingly blatant in Louisiana where we have people who serve in a position for a while and then decide to step down and appoint their next in charge rather than let their uh, let their fate, their friend have to go through an election cycle. So then by that time, that friend becomes an incumbent and incumbents are a lot harder to beat. And that's how Donlin got into the job. Now, to Donlin's credit, he's going to serve the rest of his term and then just not run for re-election. But man, that's an annoying habit in Louisiana, a way of gaming the system to get people into elected positions and then let them run for re-election rather than getting elected in the first place. But I digress. Donlin's been in Baton Rouge for 41 years. The insurance situation in Louisiana has only gotten worse. Now, a a lot of it, frankly, he can't control. He can only kind of guide and and sort of set the policy. 
But there's a lot of things out of his control, like the politics of the state, like hurricane season. He can't really control a lot of that. But he is the face of a lot of it. And I think that's part of the problem here. He is 78. He could probably win re-election. Well, he could have, if not for uh, the recent... uh, the recent insurance company of last resort, that's, uh, what is it, Louisiana Citizens, the state's uh, provider of last resort, if he had not signed on to allowing a massive rate increase through Louisiana Citizens. he uh, and, and just the state of insurance now, I'm not sure that an incumbent would survive. If Under normal circumstances, he could be in there until he dies. But the state of Louisiana insurance is actually affecting and and angering a lot of people in the state. It's angering the different parts of the state for different reasons. South Louisiana gets irritated because it's affecting them directly. The hurricanes and the follow-up fights with the insurance companies, uh, the state's state's inability to get decent auto insurance rates either, not just the home insurance rates. I mean, it's all a mess. And and then North Louisiana has to pay for all the damage that happens to South Louisiana. Mike Foster is wanting to, to put a stop to that and make it to where North Louisiana citizens don't have to pay because of the rates of South, because of the, the storms in South Louisiana. It's just a nuts situation. So you're going to have a, a handful of candidates in that race. Tim Temple, who ran against Donlin last time and almost beat him, will be running again. Temple uh, is a Republican, but. That Jeff Sato had a great piece uh, several months back on the state of the commissioner of insurance race. Uh, this was before, well before Donlin decided that he was getting out. Uh, but at the Hayride, if you just go to Google and type in the Hayride Jim Don or the Hayride Tim Temple, maybe you'll find that. Um, and I forget the specifics off the top of my head. I don't have the page pulled up, but he, he talks about the fact that. You know, Temple used to donate to Democrats fairly regularly. In recent years, he started donating more to Republicans and Republican groups. Uh, but you also have uh, Ryan Gaddy, which if you listen to Moon Graffon's show, you, you, you know all there is to know about that one. Uh, Ryan Gaddy is a former state senator. He is definitely one of the rhino Republicans of that area. He's from the Bossier area. He's a trial lawyer. He is not going to be... Uh, He's not going to be a, a, a darling of the conservatives by many, by, uh, many means. Then you also have uh, Ron Henderson, who is currently the deputy commissioner of consumer advocacy at the Department of Insurance. He's actually been working for the Department of Insurance since 1998. He was there as a student worker and then uh, was officially hired in 2001, the same year that Donlin was hired, and has been working in the Department of Insurance in some capacity or another ever since. And he is thinking about running again, or running for Donlin's job. So that's a race that is ostensibly boring, but given the insurance in the state, given the insurance crisis in the state, I think people are going to be paying a lot more attention than normal to it. I don't have a favorite in that race. I don't really know the candidates very well at all, to be honest with you. But with Donlin stepping down, it does make it a wide open race. But the insurance problem in the state is one that we've talked about. We're going to continue to talk about because it is such a mess in the state. Now, other southern states like Florida are fighting the same thing. But Florida does not seem to be going through the same level of crisis that we in Louisiana are. And it's apparently occurred to nobody to study up harder on what Florida has been doing to try to avoid a crisis because they've had, I mean, several of the companies that have pulled out of Louisiana were based in Florida and pulled out of Florida too. 
And how did Florida handle that? What did they do? How did they keep their market from just completely collapsing? I mean, they've got a ton more coastline than us. All it takes is one good hurricane to go coast to coast for Florida, and it deals a ton more damage than it does to Louisiana at times. But we need to see what Florida's doing, and Donlin's office has apparently not done that very well, or, or very aggressively at least. There needs to be more done on that. There needs to be a better way than just offering handouts to companies, which is what happened this past special legislative session. We need more than handouts to companies to get them to come back. We need assurances. We need to make sure that it is sustainable in the state. And we're not really getting that. And and that bothers me a lot. But Donilon is out. Donilon will step down. He's not going to run for reelection, and it could be uh, probably a Republican, but not sure who taking over his spot. But 41 years, that's too long. That really is too long for anybody to be in politics. I mean, Joe Biden's been in for 50 years. It's time, it's time for people who have been in government in some way, shape, or form to step aside. All right, 232-1542, if you want to jump on the phone with us. In fact, let's go to the phone lines now. Hi, welcome to the Joe Cunningham Show. Who's calling? Hey, good afternoon, uh, Mr. Cunningham. Thanks for my call. Yeah. Hey, uh, Mr. Cunningham, uh, great show as always. Um, Thank you. Listen, I, I totally agree. Uh, Jim, Jim, Commissioner of Insurance, Jim Donald's doing a good has done a g- good job. Um, you're right, it's time for him to step aside. But not all of it was his fault. Right. Right, I'm, and, and want to make sure I'm not saying it's all his fault. Agree. Like we said, it's time for him to step aside, bring somebody fresh, new, and aggressive, and smart. Mm-hmm. Not a not a good old boy chump, not a, a exactly. country club member. And if, you, if the state of Louisiana wants to take notes from the uh, state of Florida, you got to take notes from uh, Governor Ron DeSantis, who's doing a fantastic job. Mm-hmm. That right there is leadership. What yeah. we have is a plug. But we have in Baton Rouge's plugs and puppets. Yeah. It really is. When it comes to insurance and so much more, it really is a Band-Aid operation in a lot of our politics and a lot of our policies in the state. Right. And, and, and we, need to, we need to move beyond that somehow. And, and you're and right. Also, we, if I may intervene, yeah. another reason why government he has a state legislation that listens Mm-hmm. Comes up with good game plans. He listens. He works with them. It's not all this, uh, you know, some I can't say on the radio, but uh, butt licking type yeah. of uh, <laughs> thing that goes on in Baton Rouge. Yeah, I I agree totally. And then you and then you got uh, you know, you got the Messiah uh, in John Bell. Yeah. Um, and and again, just that Band-Aid operation allowing things to stagnate. That's been Baton Rouge's problem. I I think for multiple administrations is we haven't. It's not even so much, like I've said, it's not even so much that we've gone backwards. It's just that we've stagnated, letting things rot. And and it's just, it's become right. untenable. And if I may say one more quick thing. Yeah. Uh, look, and like, like here in Lafayette, where I think uh, Mayor, Mayor Price, President George, um, Josh Gilley's doing a good job. But it was, oh, at least a year ago, he was on uh, KPL. And he said he's proud of the state, uh, the local state leadership in Baton Rouge. That's bull. Those those puppets that Moon criticized and chats, which he has every right. That's mm-hmm. not leadership. That's porn stars, baby. Yeah, 
Yeah, you're 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 absolutely right. And thank you very much for the call. I appreciate it. Yeah, have a good day. All right, you too. The one thing that I think I probably will say in in Mayor President Josh Guillory's defense there is that you know the Senate leadership in in the Louisiana Legislature is from Lafayette, so you have to have a good. I mean, that's a very you know that's a very good thing for Lafayette in particular. So he's he's got to publicly maintain those kind of relations. And you, you find that all the time that politicians are, are saying great things about each other when really they, they cannot stand what's being said there. But I think the, the big thing that we need is we really need somebody who can stop the stagnation and stop the rot. It's when things stop moving period, that things rot and disintegrate and start falling apart. Even if we're moving backwards, at least we know which direction doesn't work. And we can reverse that and keep going. When you just sit there and stagnate and you start to rot, it's very hard to come back from that. Probably harder to come back from that than it is just by going backwards. But that's where we are as a state. All right, let's take this last break. 232-1542 if you want to call in, be part of the conversation. Plenty more on the way here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation. In fact, we've got Lynn on the line. Lynn, how are you today? Good. Good. What you want to talk about? Very good. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. What do you want to talk about? All I want to say is I've lived here all my life. Mm-hmm. Um the voting block for this state, and it's it was the original swamp, uh-huh. is east of that Mississippi River. <laughs> that's where all the crud and the voting gets messed up. And that's all I want to say. You know what? It's like if you want if you want to disease the body, you go through the heart because it reaches everywhere in the heart of this state. Four large cups ice. That'll be all. So you, I'm sorry. Yeah, you you poison no, the heart no, of the no, state. You poison the heart of the state, and it just trickles through the veins all the way through the rest. And that's exactly that's exactly what you're talking about. Once but you, it's gone back for many years. Oh, my dad, uh, uh, many years, and we know it. Yeah. But I see it more now as the cluster mm-hmm. of the working people and the people satisfied with government and give outs on the other side of that Mississippi. And that's all I have to say. Well, Lynn, thank you very much for the call. Appreciate you listening and appreciate you calling in. Thank you. All right. You have a good one. And anybody else who wants to call 232-1542 or send a message through the KPEL app chat would love to talk with you there as well. I want to switch gears real quick. Um, Ron DeSantis got mentioned in a call earlier. I mean, you mentioned, you know, Florida and the insurance market there and everything like that. Ron DeSantis is under fire from the left and the right today. And I think it's very interesting. I really do. Ron DeSantis gave his response on his beliefs on the Russia situation. He gave that in a questionnaire response to Tucker Carlson. And Carlson is vouching for DeSantis and what he said. And I'm not going to go through the whole thing. But DeSantis basically says in his statement the following four things. Number one, he wants to help Ukraine. Number two, he does not want to give Ukraine offensive capabilities that would allow it to strike outside its territory. 
He does not want to advance regime change in Russia. And he does not want to take steps that would commit U.S. troops to Ukraine. Now, all four of those points are the same position as Joe Biden. But the left, especially the media, they're attacking DeSantis as saying that he's like Trump. He doesn't want to help Ukraine at all. And that's not what he said in his statement. And conversely to that, because he is indicating that he wants to help Ukraine, he just doesn't want to give Ukraine a blank check, which is where he and Biden and a lot of the D.C. swamp differ. He doesn't want to give Ukraine a blank check because he is supportive of helping Ukraine. Uh, Fans of Donald Trump, the the people who are the farthest right and the the most uh, isolationist members of the party, they are attacking him as being a neocon globalist and possibly a leftist. But really, he's not saying a whole lot in that statement that isn't already the policy of Washington, D.C., but he is charting a very narrow path. It's He's not wrong on it. We should keep Russia from expanding his borders. The only mistake I think Ron DeSantis made, and I think the National Review and other more neocon-like folks are saying, is it's not a territorial dispute. He referred to it as a territorial dispute between Russia and Ukraine. That's not what it is. It is an outright invasion and a violation of sovereignty. But other than that, he's not wrong, but he's getting attacked from both sides, which should tell you something. All right, that's it for me. In the meantime, follow me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show, email Joe at RedState.com, and of course, sign up for Substack, Joe Cunningham Show.substack.com. You'll get all of my daily writings, the podcast version of the show, and more. Talk to you guys again real soon, 23 hours, in fact. In the meantime, I can see Shannon and I can see Old School Nerd in the next room. So Shannon is off size next here on News Talk 96.5 KPL.